Thank you. Good morning. And the red light is on. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Just... That's um, normally, I have been preaching through the book of Luke and have decided to change a little bit. Uh, and uh, it's Easter, it's special. So we're going to have a look. Actually, I'm going to look at Mark. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We'll be back in Matthew later, but Mark chapter 16. Uh, I have been just, I've been thinking about it, and when I get to the Easter story in my progression through Luke, um, which will probably be sometime around August, August 2.16, 2.17, somewhere around there, uh, to, to go very slowly through the Passion Week, deal with each day one at a time, and, and go through that time in, in some detail. So that's something to, uh, to be coming, looking forward to, hopefully. Mark chapter 16 the first three verses read, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this Passage of Scripture, Father, and the question asked by these women, Father, we just ask you would open our hearts, open our minds, teach us things from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. They had come to anoint the body of Christ. They had been there at the crucifixion. These were eyewitnesses of the crucifixion. When all the disciples had fled and when John had taken Mary, the mother of Christ, away, these women remained faithful, more faithful than the men. And now they had come, they were there at the, the end and they are here at the beginning, these three women and they are coming to the sepulchre to anoint the body. And it says they, they brought sweet spices. Now what we're looking at here is what we would call, yes, spices or perfumes, probably dissolved up in oil, okay? Mixed and, and, and put into oil, and that they would put on the body. They would also partially unwrap it and lay these sweet-smelling oils within the rolls of cloth that wrap the body up. Um, incidentally, if, you, if you've ever wondered about it, I'm touching Easter things about the Shroud of Turin, I don't know what it is, but I know what's not. I know what it isn't. It isn't the Shroud of Christ, because he didn't have one. We're told that the body was wrapped as the manner of burying the Jews is, which is to wrap it up. 
Okay? So these women were going to be coming and, and partially unwrapping and then rewrapping the body, putting these sweet-smelling oils in amongst it. And the problem was, they had been there when, the, when it was sealed, when the, the tomb was sealed, when Joseph and, and Nicodemus had put the body in there, and they had seen this great stone rolled over the door of the tomb, and they were saying, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? You see, they had a problem. They wanted to get to see Jesus, but there was something in the way. There was a stone. Now the first thing we notice about this stone is that it was big. Verse 4, when they looked and saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. It was a big stone. <coughs> it's interesting. You know, it's literally, it is called, it, it, the, the literal translation is mega huge. And isn't it interesting that the word of God, when just literally translated, forms words that every teenager can understand immediately. If I go to a teenager, any young person, and, and they say, how big was that train wreck? And I'll go, it was mega huge. They understand exactly what I mean. This, the, the, the word of God is by its very nature easily understood by people. This was a mega huge stone. Joseph and, and Nicodemus probably had help to roll it in place. They were rich men. They probably had, had servants to assist them. There's a problem. It's big. It's all too big. You want to do something for Christ and you look and you go, it's all too big. And you don't. You don't even start. Or maybe, maybe the problem is that you would like to be with Christ. You would like to be part of that group, but you look at your sin and you say, it's all too big. Who's going to do anything to help me? It's all too big. Sometimes the, big, the problem we have is we look at a problem and we just see it as so huge that there's nowhere to start. The, you know, how do you do this? How do you achieve something? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. I want to show you something about the Thessalonian church. This, they're interesting people. We, we studied them. Just recently, First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, chapter one, verse six, and it says, "And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you are examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for." 
from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread aboard so that we need not to speak anything. Did you get that? So that we need not to speak anything. The people in in, in, in Thessalonica were living such good Christian lives, were, were, were sounding out the word of the Lord in their own community that everybody else heard about it. Now, this wasn't their intention that everybody hear about what they were doing. It was just a natural result of what they were doing in their own community. And it had reached the point where Paul would go to some place and he'd say, I want to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. And people would go, oh yeah, we heard about those guys down in Thessalonica. They, they, they've been talking about that. Before he even began to preach, the word of God had reached other people because of what they were doing. Now, they did not say to themselves, we are going to be examples to everybody in Achaia and Macedonia, and we are going to be so good that everybody is going to hear about it. No, they said, we are going to do what God wants us to do in our community. And they began to change the entire world. Yet we look at our problems and say, it's all too big. It's all too big. You know, we we have our our banquets here. They're really good fun. Really great. You ever had elephant? You ever tried elephant? No? Question is, how do you eat an elephant? You ever wondered that? How do you eat an elephant? You know what the answer is? One mouthful at a time. Yet we look at the elephant, the problem, and say, it's all too big. We can't do it. There was a clock who who had a nervous breakdown. So they sent the clock to the clock psychologist. You know the psychologists for clocks? Yeah. And the psychologist asked the clock, what's the problem? Why have you broken down? And the clock said, do you have any idea what I've got to do? Have you got any idea what it's like being a clock? I have to tick 60 times a minute. That's 360 times an hour. That's 8,640 times a day. That is 60,480 times a week. That is 3,144,960 times a year and an extra 864 times in a leap year. It's all too big. I can't handle it. The psychologist said, well, can you tick once? Clock said, oh, of course I can do that. Tick. And can you get do a, a talk after that? Yes, I can do that. That's a tick and a talk. And see, well, that's all you have to do. Just one after the other. The million and the three million one hundred thousand, they'll take care of themselves. One tick and talk at a time. The women were saying, who will move the stone away? It's all too big. If they had not come, they would have missed 
seeing an empty tomb. If they had stayed at home and said the problem is too big, they would have missed seeing the power of God at work. If they had stayed at home and said it's all too difficult, they would have never met the risen Christ that morning. And if you were sitting there and saying, my sin is all just too big, then come along to the empty tomb and see the stone rolled away. There was another problem. There was a watch. There was a watch. Back over there in, in Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Not only was the stone big, people were watching. Matthew 27. Verse, starting at verse 62. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that while that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. It's interesting, you know. The scribes and the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They had not mistaken his message at all. The disciples were a bit confused, but the scribes and the Pharisees were under no such illusions. They knew exactly what Jesus meant. After three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way and make it as sure as ye can. Now that's deliberate emphasis there. Uh, Pilate had washed his hands of this whole business once and he was not going to get embroiled again in it. So he said to the, the chief priest, you've got temple guards, you go away and you put a watch on it. I want nothing to do with this. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. They set a watch. So the women are coming. And they say, the stone is big and people are watching. People are watching. How many times do we not do something because someone is watching. How many times do you think Christians, good Christian people who know the Lord Jesus Christ, don't say grace in public because people are watching? Hmm? What do you do with the fact that people are watching? There was a watch over the tomb and they were, they, they were going to come there to anoint the body of their saviour and people were going to be watching them do it. Damien Parr, some of you might know of him, was a photographer in New Guinea in World War II. He produced a documentary called Frontline, which was one of the most brilliant things ever to come out of that campaign. Damien Parr was in a hut 
just short of the front line, with a group of Australian commandos. These were men living on the very edge of existence. Every day, their lives were threatened. Every day, they lived with the prospect of dying. And he was up there filming what was happening. They had settled into this little native hut for the night. And the men were doing whatever they had to do, cleaning weapons, preparing things, getting ready, getting something to eat. And one of them called out to Damien Parr, who'd gone off to one corner of the hut. Perhaps they thought he was working on his camera or something like that. And one of them called out to him. And he replied, Not now, fellas. I'm praying for us. He'd stopped that night and was praying for the men he was with. You think, what's going to happen in that situation? The writer who told about this said, the hut immediately grew completely silent. There was not a word spoken until he had finished. The world is watching. The world is watching us. And sometimes in the most unlikely places, in the most stressful situations, a watch has been set on us. What will we do? Will we say, oh, I couldn't possibly go to the tomb because there's a big bunch of hairy, ugly soldiers watching. I couldn't possibly go and fulfill what I've said I will do for my saviour because someone might be watching. Yes, they are watching. And that's the whole point. It's interesting that the very first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ were not these women. They were the soldiers who ran away in fear. They had been set to watch and they saw far more than they ever bargained for. So sometimes we, we want to do something for God and we say, it's too big, I can't move it. Sometimes we want to do something for God and there's someone watching. There was another problem with the stone. Another problem with the stone? It was sealed. You notice that? Verse 66 of what we read in Matthews, and so they went and made the sepulchre shore, sealing the stone and setting a watch. It was sealed. You ever used a seal? Now, I've, I've used a seal quite a lot, actually, when you, you ship things overseas. You, you put a seal on the, on the container. And when the container comes in, it's sealed to guarantee that it hasn't been tampered with. I remember one time when a, 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 I was looking after a, a person's farm and, and, they, and they were worried about people were, had been breaking into their, their buildings. And uh, I got some plasticine. 
all right? And at that stage, I had a little signet ring. And so I got the plasticine and I put that over the locks and just pushed the ring into it. And I said to him, there you go. We'll know if anyone's tampered with it. I've sealed it. <coughs> a seal is an amazing thing. It's a very powerful thing. You do that, people see it, and there's a, oh, this has been sealed. People will know if I've touched it. And in fact, in that story I was saying where I was helping look after a farm, nothing was touched. Nothing was touched. Why? Because if there were any people coming, they had a look and they went, oh, hang on a minute. This has been sealed. They'll know if we've been around. So that's what the chief priests had done. They'd sealed it. They had sealed the stone. That's an interesting thought. What is a seal? What is a seal? A seal is a symbol of authority and power. That's what a seal is. A seal is the stamp of someone else's authority. We live in a world that has officialdom deciding what's right and putting its seal on it. These are the rules. This is the way it has to be. Not just in the rules of what you can say and do. We all, we all accept those rules. But the rules of what you can think. You can't think that your religion is better than anyone else's. You can't think that your God is the only God because that's not official policy. The interesting thing is, what right did they have to seal that tomb? Think about it. What right did they have to seal that tomb? Whose tomb was it? It was Joseph's tomb. It wasn't their tomb. They had no right to do that. They had no authority to seal the tomb, but went ahead and did it anyhow. The world comes to you and says, this is the way you have to think. This is the way you have to believe. But they have no right and they have no authority to tell you that. What is the seal of the tomb? Think about it in another sense. There's a tomb. And it's sealed. You know what seals tombs? The law. For 2,000 years, for 4,000 years, the law has sealed tombs. From the time of, of Moses... To the time of Christ, the law sealed tombs shut because it pronounced all humanity guilty. But we see that when the, when the force of God meets the force of the law, the law crumbles. You know, if those women had said, oh, I'm not going to go to the tomb because there's a seal on it, they would have missed seeing the symbol of the law broken. They would have missed out on that. 
the stone. These women could have said, the stone's too big. They could have said, there's people watching. They could have said, the stone's sealed. But instead they came. They came to see their Lord and Master. And what did they see that, that happened with that stone? What happened to the stone? Well, you say, oh, okay, the stone was rolled away. No, that, that's, that's, just, that's, that's just the first part of it. Have a look at the stone. Because Matthew 28. What happened to the stone? What do you mean, what happened to the stone? The stone just sat there. No, it didn't. Verse 2 of chapter 28. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. The stone became a seat. He sat on it. Now, why do you sit down? This, this is an important symbol in Scripture. Why do you sit down in Scripture? It's always got the same meaning. You sit down because the work's finished. Yeah, you sit down because the work is finished. You read the book of Hebrews and look for that expression, sat down. It's a, it means always... It's talking about the finished work. The angel sat down because his job was over. Now what did he do then? Well, when the women came, he preached a little sermon to them. You've got to remember too that in, in biblical times, you stood up to read as we do, but you, the, the minister would sit down to preach. Okay, He preached a little sermon to them. And so the stone that they thought was going to stop them from reaching Christ became a pulpit for the very first Easter sermon. When the angel said, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. It's got to be one of the shortest sermons on record. But it contains... The essence of the gospel. Ye seek Jesus, he is not here, for he is risen. The stone became a pulpit. The stone became a testimony. The stone rolled back and exposing the empty tomb became a testimony to every person who came there that he was not here, for he had risen. And I ask you, why was the stone rolled back? Wasn't rolled back to let Jesus out. He didn't need doors. He could be anywhere he wanted at any time. He no longer had an earthbound body. He'd been raised in a glorified body that wasn't subject to the rules of this world. So why was the stone rolled back? It wasn't rolled back for his benefit. It was rolled back for our benefit. 
It was rolled back to demonstrate and show that the tomb was empty. That which they thought would be a barrier, in fact, became a blessing. The stone also became a border. You know they used to you know how they used to mark borders in Bible times? With stones. Sometimes they'd paint them white. You know, one of the instructions in the law was don't move the border stones between people's land. Don't move them. They're there, they're fixed. This stone became a border. It marked the boundary between life and death. It marked the boundary between the world and heaven. And it marks the boundary between eternity with God and eternity without God for those who will look into there and see that the tomb is empty. The stone. What else did the stone do? Well, we know something else about stones. They were made, they were used as memorials. You know, they'd raise up a stone. Joseph, uh, Jacob did it as he, as he journeyed on. He saw a dream of angels ascending and descending into heaven. And he said, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. So he raised up a stone pillar to remind him of that. When the children of Israel came across the Jordan, they raised up a stone pillar to remind their children of what happened, of God's deliverance. And the empty tomb and the stone becomes a memorial and a reminder of what has happened. You know, Christianity adopted the cross as its symbol. They could have equally adopted the empty tomb as the symbol of Christianity would have served just fine. The stone also did one other thing. You know what else they use stones for? Foundations. We're told that Jesus Christ himself became the, the chief cornerstone and the stone which rolls away from the tomb and shows an empty grave becomes the chief cornerstone of the Christian faith. I serve a risen saviour. He's in the world today. That's the cornerstone of the Christian faith. An empty tomb demonstrated by a rolled back stone. The stone that they thought would be a barrier. The stone that they thought was too big. The stone that they thought was sealed. The stone that they thought had people watching it has become instead the proof of what they were looking for. Has become the boundary between life and death. Has become the testimony of the people of, to the people of the world. But they would have missed all this. Missed it all. If they'd said, oh, it's too big and there's too many people watching him, there's a government seal on it and I can't do it. Instead, these three women chose to get up early in the morning and go and do what they were trying to do for Christ, to serve him. You know, 
There is nothing more tempting to people in this world than an empty hole. Now they were at Footscray. They're, they're doing track work, okay? They're digging these big deep holes. And you see there the people coming to and from the station. Everybody has got to go and have a look in the hole. You ever notice that? People cannot abide to look, to walk past a deep hole without looking in to see what's there. You know, you put up a, 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 a hoarding to, to stop people walking into a building site. They actually now drill holes in them so people can peer through to see what's happening because otherwise they'll try and find a way to look in. It is a thing about people that nothing is more intriguing than an empty space, an empty hole. There's an empty tomb here. Peter and the others were just like that. They got there and the first thing they did was look in and see. I invite you to come and have a look. Now the stone has been rolled back. Have a look into the empty tomb. Have a good long look. Stick your head inside and look around and realise it's empty. The stone itself preaches to you. I'm moved. I'm changed. I'm not what, I'm not what I was before. What I used to be as a barrier, what I used to be as a guard, what I used to be was stopping you. Now I'm here to let you know of the good news. The stone itself preaches and calls to you, I'm moved, I'm changed. Have you come to the tomb and looked inside? Have you been moved? Have you been changed? That stone's not the same anymore. Oh, looks the same on the outside. That stone's not the same anymore. It's been used by God to do wonderful, wonderful things. And so can you. All you have to do is step up to the tomb, put your head inside, have a good long look, and realize it's empty. He is not here for he is risen. Why seek you the living among the dead? He's not here. He's gone. The tomb is empty and if you look inside you'll never be the same again. Three women. Three women who decided that they were going to go and do what they could for their saviour. Despite the fact there was, there was a big stone in the way. Despite the fact people were looking. Despite the fact the official seal was on it. They said no. We're going to go and do what we can for Christ. If you're a Christian. Go and do what you can. And you'll find the stones that you thought would be barriers. Have been rolled away. And have become instead symbols and pulpits for you to use. And if you're not saved, today, of all days, 
to this time of all times, at this point of all points in your life, put your head inside the tomb and have a look and realize it's empty, that he has gone from the tomb, risen in glory and coming back for us. Brethren, this is a special time. This is a great day. This is a wonderful day. If you're a Christian, let's go and achieve some things for God, realising that the stones will be rolled out of our way. If you're not saved today, today, this day, at this time, look in the tomb. See that the stone's been gone and it's empty forever. Thank you.